This is Solidarity News on Radio Labour. This is a Radio Labour World Report recorded on Friday, April 14th, 2023. I'm Mark Belanger. In the report this week, more demands for the release of Australian journalist Julian Assange. The 10th anniversary of the Rana Plaza disaster in Bangladesh. The Labour Start report about union events and singing. For every stitch of clothing, someone sweats away unseen. All the tangled threads of justice unravel at the seams. From the slums of New York City to the streets of Bangladesh. Hundred years of struggle. This is Radio Labour. The campaign to free the journalist Julian Assange has intensified as politicians across the political spectrum in Australia have called on the United States to stop its attempt to extradite him from the UK. Assange is an Australian citizen. He has been in London's Belmarsh prison since 2019. The U.S. wants him because he was in charge of a whistleblower site called WikiLeaks when 250,000 classified cables from U.S. embassies were released to the media. The 48 Australian politicians who have asked the U.S. to stop its efforts to extradite Mr. Assange wrote that extraditing him would set a dangerous precedent for all global citizens, journalists, publishers, media organizations, and the freedom of the press. They point out that the person who actually did the leaking, Chelsea Manning, was pardoned by Barack Obama and is now free. Assange is not. I talked to Tim Dawson about the case when the extradition hearings in the UK started. Mr. Dawson is a former president of the National Union of Journalists in the UK. He is currently the chair of the expert group on the surveillance of journalists for the International Federation of Journalists. This interview was first broadcast in October 2021, but the arguments in support of Mr. Assange have not changed. I began my interview with Mr. Dawson by asking him why the extradition of Mr. Assange is an issue for journalists. Because it would have the effect of criminalizing journalism. Let me explain why that is. To, to understand this, you need to look at the what's known as the second superseding indictment of Julian Assange. So this is where the United States sets out the terms on which it wishes to prosecute Mr. Assange. These are all in the U.S. Espionage Act of 1917, which is a very vague and and quite a notorious piece of legislation for persecuting progressives and working-class organizers and trade unionists. And within the terms of this act, it defines what it seeks to prosecute Assange for, which is effectively nurturing a contact who he hopes to obtain information from and helping that contact to locate information that he thinks might be of use and providing advice on how he might sidestep the security of the computer network from which he's going to take that information. Now, those actions are ones that thousands of investigative journalists will have performed many, many times. They are the actions of somebody locating and coaching a source, somebody who has recognized illegality or immorality within an organization that they're working for and helping them to provide that information for journalistic purposes. So in a way, whether you think 
Julian Assange is a journalist or an activist or, or, or whatever, doesn't really matter because it's the actions that he took which are journalistic for which the U.S. is trying to prosecute him. And if they are successful, it will mean that anybody engaging in that kind of work with classified material would be at risk of prosecution by the U.S., which is a frankly terrifying prospect. The International Federation of Journalists is the largest global union federation of journalists' trades unions in the world. The IFJ represents more than 600,000 media workers from 187 organizations in 146 countries. Journalists at Radio Labour are members of the Canadian Media Guild and Unifor, which are affiliates of the IFJ. April 12th was the 10th anniversary of the Rana Plaza disaster in Bangladesh, which killed 1,200 mainly young women garment workers and injured 2,500. After the disaster, two global unions, Uni and Industrial, forced clothing brand corporations to join an international health and safety accord to protect garment workers in the country. Because of its success, the International Accord has recently been extended to Pakistan. I talked to Alki Bosager about the International Accord. Ms. Bosager is the Deputy General Secretary of Uni Global Union. I asked her what the Accord will do in Pakistan. The International Accord in Pakistan is going to base on the experience in Bangladesh. And of course, they're going to adapt the program to the circumstances of Pakistan. One thing that we're going to do different and that is found from the Bangladesh experience is that we're running right from the beginning with the local stakeholders. In Bangladesh, we reacted to an emergency situation and or the, uh, the the program in Bangladesh had been transformed into a tripartite organization over the past year. In Pakistan, we have been working with the government, with the local industry and other stakeholders who are in the past year to put together a program that includes them in terms of defining the parameter of this program. And at the end of last year, we agreed together with the brands that are signatories to the International Accord, we will expand the program into Pakistan, and we will continue to do factory inspections, just like we did in Bangladesh. We're going to run a worker compliance mechanism where workers can complain about issues that they find in the factory. And a very important element are going to be training programs that we're going to run for both factory management and workers so that they will have a voice on the job and the health and safety of workers is going to be in their own hands. The accord in Pakistan is legally binding. How does this work? The international accord that brands and unions are signing is the actual legally binding agreement. And based on that legally binding agreement between these two parties, we took a decision that we will extend the program so that legally binding nature is in the international accord. It's not uh, specifically only in Pakistan. And uh, there's a agreement that has been signed between these parties where the brand leads certain commitment in terms of what obligations they have, what they're going to do to work with their factories to make them comply with the requirements of this program. And as union, it's our job to make sure that the brands are meeting those commitments. Are there plans to extend the international accord to other countries? We did capability study for the number of countries and concluded after uh, intensive research that Pakistan was the country that merited the first expansion beyond Bangladesh, and that's based on a number of factors. 
first of all, the environment that we find in the tech or garment industry in the country, it's also the country that most of the brands we're interested in, whether it's a big buying volume from, from brands in Pakistan, but also the fact that both government and local industry were showing a significant interest in having the uh, court come into Pakistan. Those were all important factors for our decision to first go to Pakistan. But that doesn't mean we're not going to expand to other countries. There will be discussions that will have to be had by the hearing committee, but for now we're going to scope with our work on Pakistan. I am surprised to hear you say that the government and the employers in Pakistan welcomed the accord. Is that because they saw that it helped the employers and government and workers in Bangladesh? So there are not all factors. Definitely, I believe that the, the industry in Pakistan had been how the industry in Bangladesh has been transformed, how the purchase and volume from Bangladesh has gone up. And really, Bangladesh, I would really, you can see it, it's the number one destination now for a brand. Can this start? Also, another issue coming up, which is the renewal of the trade benefits that they get with the European Commission. So that's another factor that the government definitely will be factoring in their discussions. But also, in terms of an economic interest of the country, both the government and the industry, it just makes business sense because particularly European brands are under increasing pressure. The due diligence legislation requiring them to be a lot more responsible among the supply chain. And they know as a country if they want to be competitive, if they want brands to choose Pakistan as a destination, they will have to comply with requirements. And a very huge way to do that is the accord. Here with his report about union events is Labour Start correspondent Derek Blackadder. This week, our top stories section included links to coverage of the planned national wage strikes in Norway and Canada, calls from global union federations for an end to impunity for the murderers of trade unionists in Eswatini, and the 12th national one-day walkout in France as pension protests there continue. We also carried stories detailing how and why Korean truckers have been so successful in their organizing efforts, why sex workers in the Netherlands are resisting relocation, and multiple updates on the strike by UNO workers in Palestine. This week's Working Women news page carried news of the nurses' strikes in Mali, where the vast majority of workers in this occupation are women. Her union's reaction to a sexual assault on a South African nurse and a precedent-setting court win for victims of workplace sexual harassment in Ireland. Stories appearing on our health and safety page in Newswire this week included more threats against journalists for doing their jobs in countries as disparate as the Maldives, Argentina, the United States, the United Kingdom, Australia, South Africa, Nigeria, Indonesia, Mexico, Peru, and India. We also carried a health and safety analysis of the proposed changes to France's state pension system. No surprise, raising the retirement age is bad for your health. Our current photo of the week is a shot of the 6 April pension protest march in Paris when more than 2 million workers and their allies struck for the 11th time so far this year. This is Derek Blackadder from Labor Start reporting for Radio Labor. Now here are the low-tide drifters with every stitch. 
Listen to our daily newscasts and features at radiolabor.net. I'm Mark Belanger. Thank you for listening. And remember, it's all about global solidarity. <laughs>